From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, October 22nd, 2018. We're going to get past golf and football podcasts and actually do other sports. What a concept. Um, with our friend Jordan Brickman, who's here uh, technically to talk about the Knicks, uh, though uh, we're going to not talk just about the Knicks because Jordan is a well-versed man in many areas. Um you were uh, you did something that I thought was extraordinary, and for people who don't follow at JA Brickman914 on Twitter, uh, you decided for David Wright's finale to go to the game dressed up in full gear as David Wright. What was your thought process behind that? Um, yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on, Jeremy. All right, yeah, no problem. Um, it, so it's something that I did for Halloween uh, a couple of years ago. A lot of people told me I kind of look like David Wright. Um, and I went to the World Series game just as him. And I figured, hey, there's only one other opportunity for me to do this and it'd be relevant and not be kind of weird. So I went as dressed up as him and I took pictures with probably 20 to 30 different strangers at the game that came up and wanted to take pictures with me. And uh, it was really kind of, it was really fun and, and uh, really funny seeing people kind of be like, wait a minute, thinking that I was actually him or not. So it was, uh, it was a good time. Have you found your future wife? Uh, 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 sorry, during that process. Uh, I did not, not this time. Okay, maybe next time you dress up as him. Um, yeah. Quickly, because I had a whole podcast with uh, Chris about this, but but what was that last night like for you? Uh, you know, very emotional. Obviously, typical Mets. No one scored for thirteen innings. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy that he got on base, and I'm happy that he got his one play in the field. No, you know, no problems there. We were nice if we got a hit, but it was it was great to kind of get to experience that, and it, it's definitely a treat that maybe you never get to experience a player like that of his caliber being with the Mets for his whole career and what he meant to the team and everything. I probably never get to experience that again, so uh, it was really special night. Yeah, I, I, even as a non-Met fan, but as someone who obviously respects him, um, that that was such a cool scene, and and then and then for the game to just go on and on and on and on and on. Um, yeah. <laughs> was 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 just ridiculous. Uh, the NBA season is seven days old, and uh, seven days old. And this guy does not work in media, um, but uh, he, he he works in publishing. But well, uh, is is uh, I, I guess advertising publishing is technically the right term for you. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> he's already been to two NBA games this year. Um, in, in in two different arenas, neither of which the home arena for the team which you follow, which is interesting. Um, and and this is what I want to get in on. Everybody on the East Coast who has never seen a Warriors game in person hears about Oracle, hears about how loud it is, hears about you know what a, a hostile environment it is and how great those fans were. You were at Warriors Thunder last Tuesday. What was that like? It's definitely a loud, a loud stadium for sure. Um, you know, I can kind of compare it to really MSG and Barclays, the only two arenas I've been into multiple times. And Barclays and, and MSG always has a lot of tourists, so you don't really have a full arena of diehard fans. So Oracle definitely was one of the more loud um, arenas I've been in. Uh, it kind of was interesting to watch the game because you kind of know that the Warriors are going to win, or at the very least have a shot to win at the end of the game. So it would basically be kind of like, it would be a little bit low in the crowd, and Thunder would go on a run, and then the crowd would kind of chirp off and be like, hey, they're tied now, let's, let's turn it back on. And then the same thing kind of happened over and over again. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see. The, the crowd is just so confident 
that they're going to probably win or be there at the end of the game. They don't necessarily worry about, oh, no, we're down by a couple points right now. So I thought that was kind of interesting, the ebbs and flows of how the crowd elevated their, their energy. Um, but people still always find things to complain about, which I thought was funny. You know, you got this maybe the best team of all time, and I'm sitting behind this guy who, you know, in his, in his mind, the Warriors didn't make a single foul the whole game, and the Thunder fouled every time they, they played defense. It's funny to kind of see that even, even for a team that is as elite as elite can get. Uh, but it was, I was definitely impressed. Um, you know, it's, it's out there in Oakland. It's not, uh, it's not too far from San Francisco, but you have the, the A's Park and, and the Raiders Field right next to it. Uh, it's kind of a nice little hub, kind of like they have in Philly where all the, all the arenas are next to each other. And yeah. definitely got loud, especially for the ring ceremony, obviously, and the banner raising is pretty cool. Um, before we get to the game itself, I have to ask you, I thought the coolest moment of that whole ring ceremony, banner ceremony, was when they had the equipment guy come out and get his ring in front of everybody. Did the crowd have the same reaction that, that that Twitter and the team did, that this was really cool? Like, Did the crowd recognize who the heck that was? It was kind of hard to tell. People were just kind of like clapping for everybody. Um, it was kind of no one said like, "Oh, that's that's such and such." Um, but it, it, you know, they were just there. Everyone's obviously just all excited, and it's funny to see kind of which which guys got the biggest cheers um, and which guys you know, got just decent cheers. So it was always interesting to watch. And then we got um, if we just flip to the Warriors. Um on, on a different night, because he, he, he only played six minutes in this game, um, but but played but but had a huge role in their next game. Jareb, uh, I I can't even pronounce his last name, but Jerebko. Yeah, uh, this dude comes from Utah, uh, goes goes to the Warriors, and in an uh, and on a team that has possibly one of the greatest starting lineups in the history. Of the NBA, that dude, who I bet 60% of casual NBA fans have no idea who the heck that person is, you know, gets them the winning basket. I think it just speaks to the importance of having quality role players on your team. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's an advantage of, of being a great team is that you can kind of find these role players. You know, all they have to do is focus on the things they do well, do the little things, and that, that makes it easier. Um, for those types of guys, and they're going to want to go play for the Warriors because it just elevates their level. Now they're a winner, and they can get other other jobs. Look at like Javale McGee, who's now starting for the Lakers last year. The five spots always uh, this year, excuse me. The five spot has always been an issue for for the, the uh, Warriors. It's kind of their one spot on the floor. They don't really have a true center. Um, they kind of always been you know they had Bogut initially, and now they had McGee and um, Lee for and, a while. David so, Lee. Sorry. Oh, Lee, they Lee, yeah. and Lee was not a great defender, so he, you know, he had that one stretch in the finals, but he did his minutes were brought down. So they always do Draymond on the side. Uh, so there's always that fifth spot that's open unless Iggy's out there and he's not a starter. So uh, there's opportunities for guys to come out. And I, I was expecting to be Jordan Bell this year, but he has not really been getting any playing time to start. Obviously, Boogie will be there second half of the year. But um, hey, if you if you if you're a great team, people want to play for you, and they're going to try to do the small things they can and. He got that tip in on, on Saturday, and it, it was great. On Friday, excuse me, and it was great. Are we headed towards Warriors-Rockets in the Western Conference Finals? I, I think so. It's, it's, you know, you saw the Lakers play the Rockets, obviously, and they're, they're definitely a threat um, to, to, the, to the Rockets, but um, they, they didn't seem like a great team yet, but that's to be expected. They're only two or three games into their, their LeBron era, so uh, I think it's really to say for them, and I think Lonzo, will be the starter at the end of the year and who knows they could even trade 
Lonzo for Damian Lillard, these different guys, so that team could look very different. And I think the Jazz are definitely, you know, you saw what they just did with the Warriors. They went toe-to-toe with them until till the end, um, and just they were tipping away from winning that game. So I, th- I think that the Jazz, if Ricky Rubio can stay healthy, they, they have a shot to shock some people, but hard to say that anyone's going to beat the Rockets or the Warriors in a seven-game series at this point. Veteran teeing it up, uh, listeners know that Jordan knows as much about hip-hop as anyone I know. Um, so speaking of the Rockets, where does spit spat or spit gate or whatever you want to call it rank up there if this was a rap uh, uh, sorry rap beef between Rondo and uh, CP3? Well, it actually kind of reminds me of the Drake Pusha T beef because <laughs> it came out kind of after the, the, the spit gate happened that Rondo and CP3 hate each other and yeah. they hate each other for a long time. Uh, and that's kind of where the Drake and Drake and Pusha T similarly have kind of had this unspoken beef for, for years, or at least they cruised it. Um, so it's kind of funny to see it all kind of come to a head. Uh, it's definitely interesting, especially because, you know, it does seem like for some footage now that Rondo did spit, but it's amazing how low-key the spit was. You had to really zoom in and slow it down, focus on his jaw and CPT reaction, and it's kind of crazy to see. Um, but I think the, the biggest loser in that for me is, Ing- is Ingram, because he came in for, for no reason and threw that punch, really tried to escalate things. Surprised only off four games, to be honest. If you look at like what Melo did, uh, you know, it's a different era, a different time, different player. Melo got 15 games for coming in and punching Marty Collins in the face uh, a couple of years ago at the, uh, when he was on the Nuggets at the Garden. Um, you know, again, different commissioner, different time, but only he's only basically suspending him for a week. I thought it was interesting, but I'm my fancy team, so I'm not going to complain too much. But uh, it, it's, it's it's amazing how the how the, the the view of the NBA has changed since you know they came down so hard a few years ago with opposite. Now, the Palaces, they should have, and the, and the Nuggets, Knicks brawl, um, and they kind of just said, hey, you know, you're going to be spending for a couple games, let's let be one under the bridge. These two teams could definitely play each other in the playoffs, though, so that'll be even more interesting to watch when that happens. I, You know, it's funny you mention that, because I also thought that just all of the suspensions overall, you know, four games, three games, and two games, were were rather low, considering, you know, how, how, how big that was. And... Then I realized that maybe with the NBA's stretched out schedule and 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 having more days for more rest, this was more about the number of days than the number of games. It's possible. I mean, Ingram's uh, had the biggest, which is four games, and he's just missing this week, and he's back the first game they have next week. Um, so, you know, you're looking at half a week for Rondo and NCP3 or so, you know, three quarters of the week. Um, so it's really not that harsh. Uh, no. you know, obviously, they'll lose out on some money, and it's not a good look for their for their image, especially CP3, who is the uh, head of the Players Union. But I think people understand that CP3 got literally spit on by somebody. It's hard to keep your cool when that happens. It's so disrespectful. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a scoreline to watch because obviously these two teams are both in the West. They're going to play each other again. And obviously LeBron is great friends with, with CP3. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that how that evolves up the year. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I- I know that this Laker team is basically a one-year team, and it's a guy, you know, it's a bunch of guys on on um, one-year contracts. But everybody looked looked at, looked at the Lance Stevenson signing as the questionable one. I looked at the um, Rondo signing as if he can behave, it's great. But if he gets into that weird Rondo mode that nobody can quite discern, kind of like Kanye in a very different way. Let <laughs> um. Uh, sorry, just uh, sorry, just to be perfectly clear, I am not comparing Kanye to Rondo, but Rondo has this like mysterious side to him that 
I thought could could pop at any time. And lo and behold, in game, what, two? This thing pops. Yeah, it's interesting comparison to Rondo and Kanye. They're both definitely geniuses, so they, they definitely have that in common. <laughs> um, the thing is that Le- so LeBron told Magic Johnson that he wanted uh, these kind of cerebral, next-level thinker players in the team, and Rondo definitely fits that. Um, so I think I, I'm not too concerned about his fit in the locker room because I think that you know there's always reports that like, Rondo's super arrogant and he's really hard to coach because he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Well, he's going to be dealing with the best player in the NBA maybe ever and probably one of the smartest players in the NBA of all time as well with LeBron. So you would think if, he, if there's anyone he could feel like he's a peer with, it would be LeBron. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how that evolves. My, my concern is, is how all these guys fit together. You know, they had a, a lineup uh, the other day with against the Rockets with Rondo, Lance, and LeBron out there. That lineup's just not going to shoot enough. You're not, it's not going to win. It's going to be interesting to see LeBron play off the ball more this year, but um, when he has the ball in his hand, he's going to be looking to, to kick it out, and you can't kick it out to Lance or Rondo. It just really shrinks the floor and kind of hurts all their value, especially when they're playing a team that shoots a ton of threes like the Rockets do, like the Warriors will when they play them, and those types of teams. So they need to figure out their rotation still, but I think Rondo is such a smart player, and he does so many things well on the floor that they'll be able to figure it out because they're, they're going to need people that can make plays on this team, and, and Rondo's definitely one of them. He's uh, off the bench, though. Yeah. So should be starting. All right, quick one on just the East overall. Are you a, this is Celtics Sixers, uh, or, or is this, or, or, or do you give the Raptors any chance of being in that Eastern Conference Finals, or is this headed to just Celtics Sixers? Obviously, definitely the Celtics, but I'm not giving. The, I'm not crowning the Sixers yet as the second best team in the East. The Sixers were not that good last year. They went on that that big run, this, kind of the last month or two of the season against some really bad teams. Then obviously they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think if we're going to see this year the difference that an, an All Star makes compared to an All NBA player makes with Kawhi, we're going to see how much like that. He's another level of DeRozan. Mm. We're going to see. How, what kind of difference that makes, and it's going to be interesting to kind of watch that. Um, and I think the Bucks. I think people forget about the Bucks. The Knicks are playing them tonight, but they have a very good coach now in Budenholzer. Giannis is a top, maybe top five player in the NBA, probably top one or two in the East. So uh, maybe top, probably top one in the East. So if they can un- unleash him, and they have you know Bledsoe, who, who had a very good end of the season last year, struggled with the playoffs, but had a very good end of the season. Middleton's a legitimate player. You know, they're taking way more threes this year. I think the Bucks are definitely a dark horse that people are forgetting because when you have the best player on the floor, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to beat that team if they're well-coached. So it's, it, and especially if Giannis and Kawhi kind of go against each other in the playoffs, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch that happen. Uh, teeing it up here with, uh, sorry, Jordan Brickman talking the NBA. Um, all right, Knicks. Mike Breen was on a Toronto radio show last week, and when the host got to the fact that, that, he's, that he's also the voice of the Knicks... Um, um, Mike was asked, what is the vibe in New York? And and his answer fascinated me. He said, it, it's, it's really odd. It's not about, um, it's not about wins. It's not about playoffs. It's about how's Kevin Knox, is KP healthy, and who can they develop into either A, young pieces for the future, or, 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 uh, sorry, two assets they can trade at the deadline. Do you line up with that kind of mindset? Absolutely. Um, I think that 
and obviously, I, if you want Frank to develop and you want Knox to develop, this year, he just had his ankle injury, so you hope that he can come back quickly and yeah. doesn't affect him the rest of the season. If, if you can walk away from this season, KP is healthy. You can say, okay, Frank is a legitimate All NBA level defensive player, and his offense is showing improvement, which it already has. Kevin Knox is a legitimate NBA starter minimum for next year and for the rest of his career. It's someone that we can rely on to provide us points and athleticism and energy and things of that nature. If you can walk away with just those three things, I think that we're happy. Um, ideally, you walk away with saying, okay, well, um, Dotson can, can, is a guy that we can, we can add to our core. Trey Burke is a fit who I don't necessarily think he is, but Trey Burke or Trier, Mitchell Robinson. If you can walk away with one or two Bonley, one or two more of those guys, you say, okay, we have five or six guys that we're confident is our core for the next five to ten years, and then you add a Durant or you add a, um, a star to the team, then you got something going. You want to walk away, I think, from this year saying we have five or six pieces that are that are the future of the Knicks, and then you kind of build around those guys, and, and that's the core that you pitch to, to incoming free agents next year. So here's an interesting question for you then. As a diehard Nick fan, you know, that that's your number one, that that's who you live and die by. How do you emotionally take these last two games, which have been very close games, lost in the, lost lost in the final seconds? Because the Knicks are, are competitive. They've been competitive from night one. They're playing hard under Fisdale. Yes, they've had the Knox injury, but they've they, they, they've been in every single game. And now they enter this brutal stretch that includes the Bucks and the Warriors and some other good teams. How do you as a Nick fan emotionally take close losses? I still am trying to win every game, um, especially the close ones, because to me, the difference, which, and I think I said this to you via text message, the yeah. difference between... The, the bad teams and the good teams and the great teams is late game execution. You know, a lot of teams can play with other teams, can play with the Warriors for 44 minutes, 45 minutes, but when it comes down to those final three minutes or the final two minutes and everything is, everyone's super focused and the plays are being drawn up, who is the better team then? Um, and, that, and that's where the great teams become great teams and become championship level teams. And we're losing the last two games with our late game execution. Um, so that's where it's concerning to me because I don't want them to build bad habits there, lose confidence there. If I want us to win, to win those games that are close, I'm fine with them losing. You know, you play the Bucks tonight and you lose by 15 or something. You play a better team and they outplay you. That's fine. I don't want them to have bad execution late in the game. Fizdale put um, the the end of the Nets game on himself. He said, "You have a bad play." He's like, "I had two other plays I could have thrown out there. I didn't do it." You know, things that you learn, things that they figure out. They're still learning the roster, so it is what it is. But. Um, I'm trying to win every game still, and I know the team's just not that good, and they're just not going to win that many games at the end of the day. You know, when they, if they lose, a lot of people told me, hey, they've lost two straight games by, by two points. That's, that's the perfect tank, essentially. You get to be competitive and play well, but you still lose. Uh, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to build. If you're trying to build a core, if we win 15 games this year, it's going to be hard to sell that on, on Durant, I think. You still want to show progress, and the way you show progress is, is by executing you know, the game plan and, and running players properly, and you want to instill that confidence in the players and in potential uh, incoming players next season. Hold on a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You said the word Durant. You think there's a, do you think there's a chance Kevin Durant comes to the Knicks next year? I believe it when I see it. I'm not going to start uh, hearing about those things, but um, I think they're going to get somebody. I think they're going to sign a big free agent next year. Maybe it's not Durant. Maybe it's not Kyrie, but I think they're going to get somebody. Hopefully it is someone at that, le- that tier one level like those guys are. Um, but I think there's a, there's a, a shot that they get they get somebody and KD makes sense. I mean to his narrative it makes sense. 
Um, I don't know why. If I'm him, I'd probably stay with the Warriors at this point and just win five rings or six rings and, you know, go down. He's already going to go down as one of the best players ever, but um, I guess to his, to, his, to his credit, if he wants to kind of rebuild that narrative about his career, come to the Knicks and, and win a ring here, he's no better place to do it. But but wouldn't Washington his home or 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 back to the Thunder and and having that homecoming LeBron kind of mode make more sense than a Nick team that that is uncertain in, and a city that he doesn't really have a connection to? Yeah, I think that you know I I, I made the same point to a friend of mine about about Washington and you know I figured why not go back there partner up with John Wall and and Brad Beal and, and those guys and. You know, my, my friend kind of said, you know, and I agree with him that Kevin Durant doesn't know how much of a connection to Washington, D.C. he has. You know, he's been traveling his whole life. He he was like a real Texas guy. He went to Texas, and all of a sudden he embraced Texas, and he went to Oklahoma City, and he embraced Oklahoma City. You know, he's kind of lived in all these different places, and he's embraced all the different cultures. I don't know how connected to D.C. he actually is. Thunder um, would be cool. You know, uh, he, he probably wants to get out of the West, would be my guess, um, and kind of the Thunder would be a LeBron-like story, but to me, and obviously I'm biased, but there's nothing like winning with the Knicks. You win in New York, and we haven't won in years. You pair you pair him with KP. That's a that's a pretty darn good core, just from one two right there, and the length of that team with those two guys and Frank and Knox's length. That's four guys with over seven foot wingspan. It can really do some damage in the East. And, and, and guys who can play some defense. Um, yep. Uh, last thing: How did Alonzo Trier go undrafted? It's, it's it's shocking that he went undrafted when you see what he's doing because he, he's a better athlete than I thought he would be. Uh, you know, sometimes these pure scorers, they're, they're not the best athletes. They just can kind of shoot it and um, and score. But he's getting those chase down blocks. He's obviously been he's strong. Um, he had that that PED suspension that he had two of them, and it seemed like the, they were related to the to the, the first time he took the the drug. Second time was a false positive. Um, he was a bit scared away by that stuff. I also think and. I'm very happy that Trier is playing how he's playing, and it was a great job by signing him um, by, by, the, by Scott Perry and then and the front office staff. They did a great job. He's not my kind of player necessarily. He's kind of, uh, you know, I don't really like his game for, for what I like out of a player. He doesn't really pass at all. He's kind of a chuck. Um, he's going to kind of keep he'll shoot you in or shoot you out of a game type of thing. I don't love those kind of guys, especially when we already have Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway on the team who can have similar mindsets sometimes, but you got to be happy with how he's playing so far. It's, it's nothing else, kind of like you're saying, Breen said. He's a piece that we could maybe move or develop and then move. Or, you know, maybe he is that sixth man off the bench that, that we one day use. But it's hard not to be happy with an undrafted rookie at, at, at this point. Uh, Jordan Brickman um, here on, on Teeing It Up. Thank you, as always, for coming on. Um, we did not get to the revealing of the source for Pusha T, revealing that Drake has a son. Uh, but hopefully that ends the beef. That's my hope. Yeah, I think that Drake has kind of announced, you know, on the shop that he's moving on, and he already has moved on, and he's not gonna. He recorded the song, but he's not gonna release. He doesn't want to go to that place. So um, it just seems like it's dead. And and on that note, on a happy note, that a beef is done and we can move on and live happily ever after. Thank you, sir, for coming on teeing it up with Jeremy Schilling. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Um, Have a great day, everybody.